0: Sweet summer children, you found uh, what I will maybe call the first real episode of the podcast Peep This Noise. I'm Logan Johnson, and sitted, seated, seating, uh, they're here and they're around the table with me, Nathaniel Johnson and Greg Hi, Hiya.
1: Hi, Nathaniel here. Uh, just to make this super clear how close we are, uh, we're actually holding hands. We're not. Right we now. super aren't. <laughs> but we could be... If you weren't so afraid,
0: <laughs> what are just, you afraid of, Logan? <laughs> if I embraced myself, what am I I'm, afraid of?
2: <laughs> I'm it, just so glad to be recording in person. I know. Instead it feels of dealing weird, with though. glitchy Greg's headphones, holding my
0: hand right now. He's not. He <laughs> super isn't. No, but you can't I can't just lie out. to the listeners. Oh, I'll
2: do what I do instead of giving my like uh, coworkers high fives. I'll do an elbow bump. Okay, I'll there. take it. That yeah. works.
0: This is weird because there's never been a time when I've been in a room with you guys and has said the words hello sweet summer children and i'm just now realizing first of all how ridiculous and second of all how irreversible those words are <laughs> there's nothing i can do to turn this train around at this point we're just stuck with that intro and i love it but it's a very odd thing to say to people that are in a room with you
2: Yeah. Yep. Speaking of, uh, speaking of trains that couldn't get turned around, that has, uh, that has great bearing on what we're going to be talking about today, right?
1: Yes, it does. Indeed. Uh, before we dive into that, let's explain why we're in person,
0: though. Oh, yeah, we have a, an upgraded audio setup, so hopefully that is something you can hear.
2: So thanks for bearing with us while we've uh, sounded like we were underwater. This should be better now.
0: Yeah, it's super funny because like part of the reason, I guess I'm going to go on an audio Track here. Oh, by the way, another thing: we don't really have a time limit anymore, which yeah. is sick. So I'm going to go on a sidetrack track <laughs> here because I can. Um, one of the things that can happen is the closer you are to a microphone when you talk into it, the better it sounds because the more background noise you can scrub out, right? Because the less of it is tangled up with your voice. So what would happen is Nathaniel and Greg would record on one microphone in the same room, and I would scrub out the background noise, but it would pull out parts of their voices. And that was basically an irreversible trend that we just had to live with. But now we all have our own microphones. We're all seated around a mixer. We're all there's one computer on the table here. It's a very good energy, I would say. Um, so yeah, things are I'm very happy. are good. We'll see how it actually ends up sounding in real life. Um, really could be anything. We've but. done a few sound tests though, and they sound pretty good. Well, yeah, but let's not brag until we've got a full episode, eh? Ah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, speaking of not bragging, um, <laughs> we watched that movie, Artemis Fowl, that we said we were going to watch. And boy, <laughs> maybe we should not have done that. But hey, We should not have done the thing. Hey, if we're going to raise the quality of one part of our show, we may as well lower the content side of it, eh? Balanced. It has perfectly through. balanced,
2: as all things <laughs> should be. It has joined the ranks of, uh, you know, similar movies like uh, like Percy Jackson and, um, and uh, Aragon.
0: Yeah, when we were talking, before we watched the movie, we were talking about terrible adaptations. How did we never bring up The Last Airbender? I thought about it a <laughs> couple of times. Arguably the worst adaptation of anything ever. Yeah, um, it,
1: it might just be
0: that. So yeah, um, this is a, another Nathaniel joint after atlantis lost empire this was his his pick so i'll let you introduce it and why you picked this uh spoiler alert a cursed (laughs) monstrosity for our episode
1: well the the reason for it is actually pretty straightforward i saw that it was on disney plus realized that it was a new show that they'd done and that it was supposed to go to theaters but it basically got the direct-to-dvd sequel treatment and i said you know what would be fun we've talked about doing a lot of different kinds of bonus episodes here on the show um where we like watch a movie or we binge watch like the entire like avatar the last airbender tv show and then record it right after and i said you know what would be a really fun thing to dip our toes into something that is probably going to be bad and we can just give our hot takes about it um now, this is coming from somebody who grew up loving the books that the movie is based off of. And, uh, I knew going into this that this was going to be bad. I didn't see any
2: reviews, though. Wasn't Rotten Tomatoes 10%? Isn't that what we heard? Yeah. Critically 10% audience was, I think, slightly higher. I can't remember. What What is slightly higher? What What is slightly I, higher? Is it like 12? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs>
1: I can find
0: out. But. Yes,
2: please. Um. But it, was, it wasn't it re- was well received.
1: No. It, it's, it. I haven't seen a movie this bad since uh, the M. Night Shyamalan version of Avatar The Last Airbender.
0: Yeah, coincidentally. There's a reason I thought of that after we watched the movie.
1: This was bad, folks. <laughs> this was bad.
0: Um. So, yeah, I didn't really have any experience with this going in. So my expectations uh, were basically non-existent. Well, that's not true because we, we made the grid. That's true. Uh, so but, but to kind of spice up our watching of this movie, we created a, a grid on a scale of faithful adaptation to unfaithful adaptation and a scale of basically enjoyable to unenjoyable.
1: Think of it as like an X, Y axis, like you would see in your math classes in high school.
0: And we all plotted how we thought this film was going to go at the beginning. And as the film went along, We added new points on the graph and line graphed our way to pain and suffering. (laughs) So
1: in the quadrant that I marked, which I marked it at the very bottom left and the very like darkest corner of unfaithful bad movie. um, And spoiler, that's where my dot ended up resting. Yeah, never left there. (laughs) Yeah, never left. It, It crawled. Both directions a little bit but never crossed those lines and got out but uh i started there and just like moved a line around of dots until it came back to rest in the very bottom corner
2: my uh my dot uh ended up lower than my my end point was lower on the uh enjoyable and um faithful level than i originally uh plotted it at and um but at the very end like there was something quippy or something like that that made me move it up slightly as to, as a little bit more enjoyable, but it was bad.
0: Yeah, I I would like to. I looked at that Rotten Tomatoes score twenty percent for audience, so Oof. you know not much better. Yeah. Um, here's the critics' consensus: You guys are like this, a would-be franchise starter that will anger fans of the source material. <laughs> I feel like that happened. Yep. And leave newcomers befuddled. that yep. Definitely <laughs> happened. <laughs> um (laughs) artemis Fowl is frustratingly flightless which is a very good pun um (laughs) given the whole bird thing (laughs) um so yeah let's talk a little bit about some of the things you wanted to talk about though
1: well uh first thing actually because you have not read these books let's get your take here for a bit
0: yeah, okay, so my background with the series is that I have started the first book somewhere between six and eight times, and I don't think I've ever broken the 20-page mark. Um, this might not be received super well. I found the premise of the series, just kind of as a whole, pretty profoundly uninteresting, and um, beyond that, you spoiled a lot of, of it for me, Oh, that, that sounds <laughs> like And <laughs> so that, like, kind of takes the wind out of a lot of the sails of some of those cooler sequences right? yeah um so i was never really able to get into it because i was basically getting the spark notes and i don't know i it was around the same time that i was like reading the spider chronicles which sure. does a similar thing but i really enjoy those books hmm. and so i uh yeah i never really never really jived with it
1: I, i've um, got to stop you here what did you think was the premise of these
0: books like there's a hidden world of fairies and there is a dude who like interacts with this world in some way i knew there was some kind of like crime response unit and i knew that there was something like that um but hey maybe that's something that somebody should have asked the maker of this film too because um <laughs> yes they should have
1: asked Gilroy lockhart
2: before he <laughs> made <Branagh>. this <laughs> kenneth branagh did you read
1: these books <laughs> kenneth branagh what happened here <laughs>
0: I love the idea that all interviewers start off questions by saying the person's full name. (laughs) Like, they're at a White House press conference, and somebody's like, Donald Trump, have you considered the implications of this attack? Donald Trump, what's our response for coronavirus? Like, they just say the first and last name every time they ask a question. That'd be very good. Um, Isn't that what happens, though? Like, that's what happens in movies. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I... um, Befuddled is a good way to explain how I felt about this movie. This movie goes from wild to wilder to just completely <laughs> off the wall rapidly. After forty-five minutes of exposition, I'm assuming that like this series has a lot to it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like judging by how much time they spent on that exposition, just trying to get everything in order. In the in
2: in the in the books, this isn't spoilers necessarily. This is just kind of like. Uh, this is just kind of like the structure of how it's written. When uh, when Owen Colford feels the need to exposit something, it doesn't take very long. He mm-hmm. just he just expects you to accept whatever weird thing he gives you,
0: which makes sense, right? And and where this film I felt was like at its strongest is when it kind of does that. There's a sequence pretty early on where um, the the Leprechaun Lady Cop. What's her name?
1: Holly Short.
0: Yes. When she goes to fight that troll at the wedding where, like, four girls are wearing white dresses, very confusing (laughs) sequence on that (laughs) note alone. Um, It just kind of expects you to realize, like, she's a response unit, she handles, like, problems like trolls, and they can freeze time, but not unironically, because there's never been an unironic time freeze in the history of the world. Um, And so... That, that, like, I thought that that was, like, actually a relatively strong sequence in comparison to, like, and a lot of the things like that where it just kind of expects you to, like, hey, this dude's about to unhinge his jaw or pick a lock with his hair. Like, just freaking buckle up. That Those were stronger sequences than the sequences that they took so long trying to protect me against the series' weirdness.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> what's funny is the scenes that you've specifically mentioned are the ones that more than anything are lifted whole cloth from the books. That makes sense. Whereas the exposition scenes are just totally like new, sewn into the. Wait,
0: the book doesn't have forty minutes of narration by Josh Gad uninterrupted. (laughs) The book has almost
2: the book has very little talking from any character. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Like that? Very, very few characters express themselves (laughs) verbally to other characters because a lot of the characters exist in 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 the moment. A lot of the characters are in isolation fully is in his lab monitoring the situation. Um, Yeah,
1: so the centaur just sits back and watches things. Or Holly sits in a cage. Uh, Holly
2: is a prisoner. She sits in a cage and thinks. Or
1: Butler, I'm sorry, Dom, uh, (laughs) goes around... Not a great great name in 2020. (laughs) Um, Goes around and explores the mansion as like a security force and is on the lookout for danger.
2: You get, you get internal monologues as most of the most of the the people talking is people thinking not Can I actually pitch talking something
1: for this movie because i i always wonder about internal monologues and how to adapt that to the live screen but Kenneth Branagh has done a lot of Shakespeare, right? And Shakespeare's whole like internal monologue is the soliloquy, right? Like where he just internal like, monologue, right? Actually. Where the character turns and faces the audience while the action basically freezes behind them. Fiddler on the, the Roof also dim. does this. Yes. <laughs> why, why not just lean into that? Why doesn't Kenneth Branagh just say, "You know what? I direct Shakespeare a lot. Let's just do the Shakespeare thing."
0: Yeah. Or hey, why not take it a step further and just make this thing a musical? Right, <laughs> like why not just have like a single spotlight fall on Artemis Fowl and he says, "A life of crime <laughs> that I never lead in the film." <laughs> um, yeah, that's another thing that was very confusing about this movie.
2: <laughs> Ellie Recon, who says we have to let him go.
0: Yeah, uh, this is another very confusing thing about this film is that um, they pitch in the summary that Artemis Fowl is a criminal mastermind. And sure enough, by the end of that film, he has established himself as a criminal mastermind. And by that, I mean verbally established himself and said, I am a criminal mastermind. But there is absolutely no context in this film under which he ever becomes criminal.
2: But he did feel... But he does a slow mo walk to a helicopter. He's got to be true. right. That's a good point. That makes him a criminal for sure. I'm
0: pretty
1: <laughs> sure that's like against the fifteenth amendment of the constitution. Well, it doesn't make
0: him a criminal, but it definitely makes him a mastermind. Have you ever seen anybody else slow walk to a helicopter other than a mastermind? I don't. People
1: think with so. canes who are like really old and like hobbling over there.
0: Yeah, but that's not a slow walk. That's different. I'm talking that's about the, like I saw him start doing this slow swagger, and I. Fully expected the mansion to burst into flames <laughs> behind him. Like this is an action movie block, <laughs> and it's not the only time. It, I was gonna say though, we we drifted off course a little bit, but but talking about how much of this is about like internal conflict and internal monologues, and and much of the book is a solitary experience, right?
2: I mean, they're problem solving. Right. they're thinking about things. It's it's a it's a home invasion story is where it starts. And it Not explains, in the movie, though.
0: Yeah, no. The movie starts again with 40 minutes of exposition. Um, it explains why the dialogue in this movie is so terribly weak, right? Because Ar- Artemis Fowl the book may be a solitary home invasion movie, Artemis Fathom movie is a JRPG.
2: <laughs>
0: right. Hey, that's not a that's not a diss on JRPGs. It no, is however, I just, a I diss d- on Artemis Fathom. Go movie.
2: and gather go and gather party members under mysterious and suspicious and somewhat unethical circumstances. Yes, yeah. and
0: then bond to an extreme degree within 15 minutes and then kill God. <laughs> like, believe me, I've played a lot of JRPGs. I know where these things go. Well, okay. Um but yeah, I think like so. I, I guess I'll give all of those thoughts as my incoherent take on this movie because I can't have forming a coherent take about this incoherent film is very difficult for me. But to say it's incoherent may be the closest thing that I've got. Yeah, I as somebody who loved these books, I had a very hard time following what was going on
1: in this ninety-minute movie.
0: Well, they introduce like. The big bad of the series, right? Well, Who'd... it's you it... all told me while we were watching this film that this character Opal is basically Lord Voldemort. Yeah, that's how I described
1: her to give you kind of the idea. But she's literally not even introduced even by name until book four. So, like, big bad of the series is kind of a weird way to think about it.
0: it... Sure, but Voldemort doesn't come in the flesh till book four, very.
1: No, but either, he right? he's always there in the shadows. She's not actually present or like pulling any strings in the first three books. Gotcha. She's
0: literally introduced
1: in the fourth book, but a, but a big major villain. Yes, yeah, she's a recurring film. villain. Might be a best. Yeah. B- 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 to put it. And she's like straight up a bad person. Like she is the worst person in the series. Yeah, the she's guy. awful. But she's not like the main antagonist of the series.
0: Right. The only thing she does wrong in this movie is, is exist, kidnap the dad. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway, I I thought it was incoherent, but. Let's move on to some of the other questions because I do think there's interesting stuff to discuss about this film. Despite the fact that, boy oh boy, I was uh, disappointed it's not the right word, but <laughs> I did not expect what I saw on <laughs> this screen. <laughs> so let's
1: move on and talk about how this movie handles themes of race given the intense diversity of the fae. Um,
2: by the the way, for our listeners, these were, these were questions that Nathaniel and I kind of came up with because we had read the books mm -hmm. and we were thinking about what we were hoping we would be able to comment on from this movie. Right. Looking at it now, I'm not sure how much I can, you know, say about some of the questions we put down because the movie was just not at all anything that I expected.
0: Gosh. Well, you would at least expect it to kind of like try to do the first book right
1: well, i, I want to compare this to percy jackson and the lightning thief um because we both put that in the quadrant we labeled the sea of monsters um, <laughs> which
0: is the second <laughs> percy jackson book yeah
1: um that that book is bad i mean not that book is bad that book is good but that movie is bad but that movie at least like follows a lot of the same beats in a lot of ways right like it it basically does have,
2: right? Like it has the same stuff. Or am I misremembering? You're talking about Percy Jackson, Lightning Thief, the movie.
1: Yeah, like it's got a lot of the same plot. Roughly beat. follows. The yeah, same. I With mean, there's a lot of stuff, and it's a bad movie. Like we're they
2: not... they go and they do some challenges to get some things, which is basically the which is basically the main portion of the book. Right? They yeah. do the
1: treasure hunt for the MacGuffins. Right? Like yeah. Basically,
0: this. You know what this Artemis Fowl movie is? What if you gave Christopher Nolan all of the Artemis Fowl books and then said, Christopher Nolan, make a memento style movie based off of this. And then they chopped the first third of that movie and said, this is the movie, Artemis (laughs) Fowl. Like just this incoherent mess of like chopped and screwed portions of this series. Yes.
2: There were some weird time jumps there. Yeah.
0: Literally I do not some, understand that third act at all. Literally some weird time jumps. Like when they all get pulled out of the time <laughs> bubble. And for the first 20 minutes that that's happening, you're just like, I'm assuming those fairies are fully dead. <laughs> like. Anyway, uh, anyway, uh, let's circle back to this idea of themes of race and and the diversity of the Fae. Yeah, so at least in the books,
1: and they kind of hinted at this in the movie, um, but there are lots of different kinds of Fae. There are fairies, there are goblins, there are dwarves, there are centaurs, etc. Um, and they're all different, and there are legit racial tensions. Like, I remember when I was reading the books, one of the things that the cops, the leprechauns, um, who are usually fa- fairies, uh, had a problem with with dwarves is they were working with this, like, kind of like shady dwarf character who said, Yeah, I'll work with you, but you have to give me. Basically, every single dwarf holiday off. And they were complaining because dwarves have almost 200 different holidays. Um, So he'd be taking over half the year off every year. Um, And there's, but they just expect that of him as a dwarf. Like, there are racial tensions because of the different groups. Um, Except for maybe in one scene, that felt more like the racial things in this movie were aesthetic rather than narrative. What did you guys think
2: um so one thing that Logan pointed out was uh was something that was kind of carried over into the movie from the books actually uh yeah, so it was something that kind of carried over from the books into the movie, which was the way that the uh the way that the troll was designed um is un is unfortunate. As trolls are considered in the books to be, uh, to be you know sentient life, to be a a type of person basically, but they're also considered to be just barely a type of person, and they're portrayed as being dirty and hairy with dreadlocks.
0: Yeah. So this is something that that
2: didn't land very well.
0: Yeah. This is something that. Kind of immediately stuck out to me. It's it's like a pretty common pitfall that a lot of like fantasy esque things will go for if they want to portray somebody as um, particularly like crunchy to use like modern vernacular or particularly like dirty or gross or even unintelligent like these trolls in Artemis Fowl they'll use dreadlocks as kind of the shorthand for that um, and kind of disregard the fact that traditionally dreadlocks are like a racial. Like a very specifically mm-hmm. racial hairstyle, right? Um, and
2: it's actually a hairstyle that takes care to put together. Like people don't just get dreadlocks from not washing their hair or something right, like exactly. that.
0: Exactly, it's not. Uh, it's not a thing that happens because you're not paying attention to your hair. Yeah, right? um, it's also not a thing that. Uh, people of low intelligence just do right this is like a very intentional decision made by the people who choose to use that to wear that hairstyle Um, especially in in places like um, you know Caribbean islands and things like that where you start to see people with dreadlocks more and more common right and so it's frustrating to see like essentially imagery be used without any real consideration about what that imagery could mean or where that imagery might come from um Especially in this part of 2020, like that seems extremely, uh, yeah, bad. Well, and it's
1: it's also it's one of those things where there's not even the kind of like excuse that exists in the books where the hair is used as kind of like a weapon against the troll where one of the characters like pulls on the troll's long hair. To bring it close. That doesn't happen in this movie. Like, it's not a liability for the troll to have it. They just have it for aesthetic, nothing else.
2: They they also made the the troll appear specifically a lot more humanoid. Um having read the having read the graphic novel version of this as well as the as well as the original. In in the graphic novel, the troll is basically uh is basically just a giant furry monster and that's that's the way they go with it. This one is specifically portrayed as you know a a creature with emotions who the uh police <laughs> then um inject with a bunch of toxic substances to to get it all riled up and then sicken on the people in the house.
0: Yeah, cuz that's not problematic yeah i don't know with regards to race in general i was not like super impressed um another thing that this like series kind or i shouldn't say series but this film kind of like handles oddly is like the description of like fairies as like quote-unquote little people right which is what we call little people nowadays right Mm -hmm. um like the to like ascribe that as like an entirely different species i understand that that's probably what the series does right of books those series of books are probably like 20 years old now yeah and so like it it ends up kind of being this weird thing that every time they say like little people i don't think of like the fae i think of like like you know little people yeah right
2: yeah it it was a weird choice because in the books they specifically use the they specifically use the names of the of the different fake creatures Mm. as like as the as the way of referring to different types of fake creatures and in the movie they did almost none of that because they just they they didn't go with the strategy of just expecting us to suspend their to suspend our disbelief they they tried to soften the blow and it really just made it so much worse
1: well speaking of like suspension of disbelief um I've heard before, uh, in reference to musicals specifically, one of the reasons that watching a musical in person is so much better than watching a recorded version of that same musical is because when you're physically in the theater, you are willing to suspend your disbelief to a certain extent. And the the performers don't have to—work as hard is not quite the right word— But they don't have to do as many things as a movie has to to suspend our disbelief. We've gone to an environment that's foreign to us when we go to the theater. And so we expect things to be weird. And when it's a musical, we expect it to be really weird. And like our belief can be stretched and we're willing to accept that. When we watch the same thing as a movie, we're in the comfort of our own home. And we need more to stretch our belief. And I feel like this show asked us to stretch our – to suspend our disbelief much farther than it was actually set out to do. Like, it couldn't carry that suspension as far as it needed to.
0: Yeah. The other thing, too, is in a movie theater, I can only lean over and make jokes to one person at a time, which, as it turns out, is one way that I undermine a production like Artemis Fowl is by loudly (laughs) making jokes uh, or calling out, like, problematic racial tendencies or, or problematic male-female dynamics as I see them. It's a lot harder to do that in a movie theater, right? Um, it's just something that I'd have to save my takes for after the credits roll. <laughs> and so that also I think has an effect here on, on affecting that suspension of disbelief.
2: Yeah. I I didn't feel like this I didn't feel like this movie was trying to say anything about anything about racial tensions, and I think that was a mistake both given when it was uh, when it was you know going to be you know thrust into the world, and also a mistake given the given the source material where the characters a lot of the characters explicitly express opinions about other groups among the Fae.
0: yeah i I think obviously there's no way that Disney or the team behind this film could have predicted that this would be released during such a a racially charged time in our country, yeah that doesn't necessarily forgive the fact that it missteps badly in some of these areas. Yeah. I don't know that it's that it
1: missteps so much as that it just fails to step when it has the opportunity to. We've talked about the missteps with, like, dreadlocks, but, like, it has a chance to do something interesting with this, and it avoids that.
0: Yeah, it definitely... And the places where it tries end up being missteps too, right? I think about the sequence of, what's his name, mulch, mulch diggums. Diggums. Mulch diggums. Mulch diggums.
2: The, the dwarf is Giganticus. Yeah. <laughs> because for some reason they had to make him bigger than the average dwarf. Which that's
1: not in the books though, is it?
2: I, I don't think so. I don't, don't think books. it's in the books.
0: <laughs> that's because they blew the budget on the action scene and couldn't like, Can and shrink in. <laughs> yeah, for so much of that film. Um, I don't know, actually, I'm just saying stuff, but I think about the scene like where he's in prison with the goblins, and the goblins are like we don't like dwarves, and dwarves are like afraid of fire, yeah dwarves
2: are dwarves are uh kind of susceptible and to aren't fire, they, like,
1: combustible because of all of the nitrogen in them, yeah, like, something dirt something like, like that like the, the also
2: also in the books, dwarves are reptilian,
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: That's why his jaw can unhinge. It's supposed to be like a snake. This, yeah.
2: These rabbit
1: holes
0: <laughs> go deep. Dude, all of this is explained <laughs> in like two pages of the book. Well, so that's what I'm saying, right? Like, and, and so when you have something like these racial tensions that do happen in that prison sequence, they end up being handled badly you, because yeah. there's stuff that I just don't understand about the racial dynamics of these two groups.
2: So you know how I was saying that a lot of like there's a lot of internal monologue like Mm -hmm. people you get a lot of people's thoughts in the in the actual written material. Yeah. You you hear things like from like as you're as mulch is the focal character and you're hearing what's going on inside his head, he he casually brings up stuff like dwarf and goblin gangs having, you know, gang wars against each other and right. how the how the dwarves have become kind of like a marginalized he kind of brings up how they've become kind of a marginalized group where you know their their livelihood, the the way that they used to make their livelihoods is not very important anymore, and sure. all all of these all these different things just kind of casually come up as he's interacting with the interacting with his world around him, and it and it paints a clear picture, and this movie fails to. You know, paint any kind of clear picture because it doesn't capture any of what's going on in people's heads and tries to make them say it out loud and it just doesn't work.
0: Yeah. There are some times when that, them saying it out loud, really doesn't work in this movie. Oh the, um,
2: the scene with him and the goblins in prison is from the book, I think. Okay. But you have context for it right. a little bit at that point. Right.
0: right. Yeah, I didn't think the scene was terrible. I just think that it's an illustrative example of how it becomes a misstep because you're missing the context that you would need. Yeah. Another thing that I think is really interesting here is, is putting dwarves in the context or yet dwarves in context of being a marginalized community here. And then like watching the interplay of like a highly militaristic police state, essentially interact with this marginalized or this one member that we get to see of this marginalized community. Right. Where he's got like a buddy, 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 kind of sentiment with Holly Short who's like totally a police officer right but they have this kind of fun back and forth at the beginning of this movie that's like Mm -hmm. hey like how long are you gonna be in for this time what'd they catch you doing Ah, shucks man it sure is like a fun relationship we marginalized people have with the police and that also like again there's no way that the people behind this film could have predicted the timing in which this would be released but it also feels kind of tone deaf, given the context that we're watching this in. Well, and I think
1: I think the goal is pretty apparent of the scene. We are supposed to like Mulch Diggums. We're supposed
0: to like both characters,
1: right? But specifically, we like are really supposed to like him, and he's the dirty, gross prisoner. So, like, they've got like kind of this uphill battle to go with. Normally, and especially since this show is supposed to be for children, right? Mm-hmm. They've got this uphill battle. So, having a fun interaction with the good cop you know that'll that'll make us be more endeared to him but i think there are ways to do that without doing it the way they did i think you can basically keep his character in that scene the same but swap her character out for somebody else who's just like no nonsense all serious okay
2: can i jump in here yeah i was kind of disappointed in i so i liked the way that they portrayed Holly Short visually Mm -hmm. because it kind of seemed, you know, a little bit true to the, true to the story, the way that she's described there. Sure. But they didn't really do her character any kind of justice. No, they did not. Um, And I mean, I, I think we'll talk about this with a, with a question that I brought up a little bit later, but just, just my take on this issue is she's supposed to be kind of hard bitten She's supposed to be the cop who's had it really rough, like climbing, <laughs> nice. climbing up to the. Uh, you know what? Let's jump to this other question. Oh, okay. Do you want to uh,
1: ask it? This was your question.
2: Actually. Yeah. So one of the questions that I put in here was, um, uh, sh- how well did it pull off Holly Shore? How well did the movie pull off Holly Short's character, a female police officer in a field dominated dominated by males? Because hmm. in the book she's explicitly like the she's explicitly like the only female LEP recon officer that she's she's the only one and uh commander root specifically has this little conversation with her at the beginning of the first book where he's like people are going to be watching you and so you need to be better than all of the male officers because i think you can i think you can make it but and if you screw up, everybody's going to eat you alive. But if you screw up, everybody's going to eat you alive because you're, like, the test case or you're, you're, like, the first one.
1: Yeah, now let's talk for a second about how the movie decides to just sidestep any, like, uh, tension of sexual... Well, gender. Gender, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, says that says gender. No, I, I was realizing I was using the wrong word there. Any sort of gender issues.
2: By having her commanding officer be a woman played by Judy Dench and also... Uh, And also a large portion of the other officers around her when they do the roll call Mm -hmm. scene are also female officers. So I felt like they kind of sidestepped that one.
1: Which is a big part of her
2: character arc throughout the series. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You look like you have something you want to say, Logan.
0: Yeah, this is like... hmm. I kind of alluded to this in while we were watching the movie but this is a film that like summarily like mistreats and disregards its female characters yeah like just like on the regular you have a character like commander root who's like whole arc is being like subject to male authority despite the fact that that man was at the beginning of the film literally in prison for some reason that is made Com- that is inscrutable to me.
1: And he's putting power over her for, again, another reason. Is it
0: Opal who releases him? Opal I'm is so apparent- confused. In,
1: in
2: this version, Opal is apparently like in charge of the group in charge of the police or something
0: like that nothing
1: is clear in this movie I, folks it doesn't make I
0: any sense I feel like the end of this movie too to like circle back <laughs> to it where like they get the hit list that they're gonna go take out all of opal's associates i feel like this is a movie that is like designed to kick off like Artemis Fowl, the animated series coming to Disney Plus, <laughs> right? Like, and we just go through sure, episode sure. after episode. Monster of the, the Week, yeah, exactly. like like that right. Lilo
1: and Stitch series like, where they find the other exactly. six hundred and twenty five experiments. Exactly,
0: yes. exactly.
2: So I don't except know, you know with, with characters who aren't endearing, right? Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, but circling back, and then, not
1: in
2: a fun setting. You, yeah, you look give me Hawaii over okay. Ireland, Ireland any day. Okay. <laughs> sure
0: unless the volcanoes are erupting but that's fine we'll just ignore that well
2: in uh, in artemis Fowl's ireland apparently they're all uh, there are volcanoes because <laughs> they ride the magma the tubes they up are constantly erupting in ireland that's true <laughs> yeah um
0: but no circling back i mean you look at a character even like like holly short who has this kind of like i um, interesting like for like dresden files as a point of reference you have like an, a murphy style character who's like had to work harder as a cop because everybody else in this field is male, right? And you get, like, this kind of, like, super good, super on-the-point officer who's under a lot of pressure and just replace her with, I mean, what women should be, which is just chipper and supportive, (sighs) right? I mean, just, like, immediately shoehorning her from, like, the, like, I mean, her character is also a trope at this point, but migrating her from, like, at least a more interesting trope to, like, literally like be real support character like is super disappointing not to mention yeah. Artemis yeah Fowl's, is. like girl that lives with him
1: Juliet Butler who's supposed to be just as cool as Dom
2: Butler but not as stiff although right Dom was not as Dom was not stiff as Butler. Dom supposed wasn't to be. cool <laughs>
0: I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool how he got crushed by that troll <laughs> and then died in the fastest death walk back in history. Um, they anyway, got
2: magic defibrillated. Yeah, I digress. And by the way, that's the thing that has to be done
0: at 100 miles an hour because just Holly short flies in there and screams, get out of the way, Artemis, as she comes in with a healing punch of death. um (laughs) Um, i think you mean (laughs) i think you mean healing punch of life apparently healing punch to death (laughs) just right in the face Uh, Um, i see but gosh this movie's so bad i think about i think about so disappointing like her character juliet who's i i commented this on this film i said does anybody else find it troubling that the the Actually, the only active action that she takes aside from jumping on a chandelier is bringing Artemis Fowl a sandwich. That's how
2: her character is introduced.
0: Yeah, yeah. and that's the only thing she does until like the scene where Did, she hangs out on a chandelier.
2: Spoilers for our audience: Do you want to know how Juliet Butler is actually introduced? Get me. She's traveling with a she's traveling with a pro wrestling group, performing as a pro wrestler.
0: Cool story, babe. Now make me a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> right?
2: Jeez. Right. I mean, this is
0: what this film does to this character, right? She's
2: also supposed to be sixteen. She's supposed to be four years older than the you know twelve year old protagonist, and they're supposed to have like a like kind of a older sister younger brother relationship
1: instead of this really weird awkward thing. Yeah. Where she like gives him a sandwich. <laughs>
0: well, and like. This, I mean, this is, like, if we examine this from another line and look at the way that this film has, like, troubled racial casting, this also becomes a problem. But just examining it from the lens of the way that this film treats its female characters, like, all three of these female characters, one of which was originally male in the text, mm-hmm. get fully disregarded, right? Yeah. By and how could you
1: disregard people? Judy Dench?
0: Hey, man, you got to do what you got to do only 125 million budget she couldn't have that much screen time <laughs> <laughs> she had more way more than i thought she was going to yeah me too but um all of these it's characters get just the budget went fully it, they, these characters just get fully ignored right and fully mistreated by the text now there's another counterpoint to this that just says like every character is mistreated by this screenplay yeah, i would agree with In, that when you hold it up next to the source material but divorced from the source material the female characters especially get like yeah but i'd say
1: most of the male characters aren't treated well
0: either even without source, even consider the way holly short's characters whole arc is i have to redeem my father's male legacy yeah right yeah it just it's incredibly troubling
2: which is especially weird because they just added that in out of nowhere like, that, that wasn't anywhere in the source well, text.
1: it's funny, right? Both of our main protagonists in this movie, Artemis and Holly, are given extreme daddy issues which resolve themselves in this movie. Um, now, spoilers again for the actual book series. Artemis' goal is to find his dad who has been kidnapped by basically, like, some gang members, human gang members. Um, But that doesn't happen until he's well entrenched in the fairy world and like a book or two later. Yeah, Um, And it's kind of a big deal when it happens. In this one, his dad is in like the first half of the movie when in the first book we're just expected to accept the premise that his dad just is not a part of his life anymore.
0: And hasn't been for years, right? At That's least like... a
1: couple, yeah. Like it's been a minute. And his mom is. Oh alive yeah, you want to talk about health health
2: issues? Yeah, if you want to talk about uh, if you want to talk about female characters being <laughs> disregarded, his mom was written out. Yeah. When, when she's there, you know, and like it... she she exists in but the universe. From
0: what little I've read, doesn't his mom have like a mental health thing going? Yeah. on? Yeah, and that might just be poorly written in the source text. It might be, so... but the way they handle it.
1: From what I remember, granted, it's been, like, 15 years, um, but from what I remember, his, his mom basically needs, like, permanent care and attention because of her mental health, and it puts a ridiculous amount of mental health strain on Artemis because he's a 12-year-old trying to be an adult, and they show repeatedly throughout the series that he's not in an okay place mentally because of the pressures that he won't let other people take away from him, like he won't let other people take care of his mom, he won't let other
2: people look for his dad, like
1: he's trying to be the big adult. Um,
2: Greg, you've
1: you've that sounds accurate, right? Doesn't it? Like,
2: yeah, I I honestly can't remember much. I haven't read the books recently, but I I can't remember much of what his mom's situation was. I just thought it was I just thought it was a little bit frustrating that they wrote her out and kept his dad in where his his dad somehow becomes this crucial character. The the movie, if I can go off on a little bit of a tangent here, the movie kind of stripped Artemis's, you know, agency and ability to be, you know, internally motivated by his goals and desires just completely away. I mean in the in the book, he's the aggressor. Like he legitimately is He's a criminal master. He's performing criminal acts. Like he he kidnaps someone in order to hold them hostage and try and get the try and get the secret world of Fey Kind to give him a Boatload of gold, like that. That's his. That's his actual goal, and he specifically goes into all of the stuff that happens in the books with that in mind to extort them out of their pot of gold, as it were, so that he can, you know, reestablish the family's for the family fortune and have the ability to go and look for his dad.
1: Right, because his dad's not being held by fairies; he's being held by humans. So, what Artemis needs, not fairy solutions, he needs mortal solutions. But fairy gold would help him get those.
2: Yeah, that that's the whole point, point. and it it makes Artemis this kind of interesting dynamic character because um, he is the bad guy, <laughs> and he uh, and he's doing he's doing this out of his own internal motivations. He's come up with this plan on his own. He's not just kind of thrown into it the way that the movie portrays him to be. Sorry, that was a tangent. No, we, can, we can circle back to the mistreatment no, of female characters I, I, or maybe I, even all the way back to the problematic casting for this now, but I just wanted to get that off my chest.
1: No, you're good. I, I think that was all super relevant. I actually want to move into this next question just to basically say um, my take on this next question because I think it'll sum up everybody's. Uh, the question is, how does this movie treat the themes of environmentalism that were in the background of most of the movies? It doesn't.
2: Yeah, Yeah, complete sidestep.
0: This is not a film about environmentalism
1: This isn't a film about anything. That's not (laughs) true. (laughs) No, I mean that in the same way that Ghostbusters is not a film about anything. No, this is
0: definitely a film about something. Okay. This is a film about checking all the good versus evil tropes.
1: Yeah, okay. Right? You mean, like, just the aesthetic tropes.
0: And not only that, like, reinforcing every single stereotype in any possible way they did
2: get as much as I love the power of friendship they did get it in this movie and didn't work in this movie like they they slotted that trope in there
0: yeah that's true I but I think about like how this is like a film that says like okay well a bad guy has to have a gravelly voice right and there has to be a big bad guy and you have to rescue the father and all deaths must be reversed. reversed there can be no deaths this is a children's movie right like, this is a thing that goes through it and systematically checks all of the boxes required to make this a children's action movie. Which are not
1: movie. the boxes that the series checks, though. Like, that's not what the series does. Right. But this movie but does. But
0: even if it did, there is still a world in which you could take the source material and make something interesting in 2020. Yeah. Know, right? But the opposite is true. They took something interesting and made something
2: not. Yeah, I... It's hard. It's hard to fathom how you go from a children slash YA novel that deals with at least that deals with at least some degree of complexity on these on these various topics and expects the people reading them who are you know probably in elementary school or middle school to understand them, and then the movie has no respect for its audience that way.
0: Well, I think. Yeah, um, that's that's been my complaint is no respect for the audience. I think the reason is like pretty. Apparent, right? What this movie is is a live action Disney movie, like Disney Children's Movie, with the fan made Artemis Fowl skin mod installed. Right? <laughs> like, you just yeah. take it and then you just edit in the Artemis Fowl trappings and tropes on top of this framework of a traditional Disney movie. Yeah. And, or not even a traditional Disney movie, a traditional Disney live action movie, which is somehow more of a drag. Um, and And that's what you have here. So of course it's not about environmentalism. Of course it's not about feminism, right? Of course it doesn't deal with any of these problematic themes of race that it sets forward on but never actually resolves. Of course everybody's recovered in the end. Of course everything's fine. Of course everybody ends up being best friends, and Artemis Fowl takes his glass of a soft for a fairy for no reason. Um, of course, all of these things happen. They're things that have to happen to fulfill the requirements of the formula. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so it, it's like a little frustrating to see because in one way you can look at it and you can see like, well, this is just the hegemonic influence of Disney just destroying another thing that people love. Yeah. Right. Which is a bummer. <laughs> I, I
2: just remembered something that Elena said, like while while we were over there. And I I kind of wish I could have really convinced her to swap out me on this on this episode. <laughs> she was far more passionate, yes. This yeah, is this is a wild. series that she loves, but she did not want to swap out with me on this episode. Um but uh but yeah, she she brought up the idea that uh Holly after the events of Book One, which this is roughly trying to portray, goes on to have to deal with some frustration and anxiety and um, and some you know mental health issues of her own in response to having been imprisoned and uh, imprisoned and in like a dangerous dire situation, which is how the book portrays. Uh, portrays her situation once she's yeah.
1: Captured. It's worth mentioning she's basically dying while she's in Artemis's yeah. prison in the book.
0: Well, not only that, she gets shot out of the air in the film, mm-hmm. and then they're just like good homies. Like yeah, yeah. Well, she she
2: hates Artemis, and I don't remember a, the reason and resents him for a long but she
0: time. She has to work
1: with him in the second book, so like they deal with her psychological trauma as a result yeah. of having once been his prisoner and now needing
2: to work with him. Holly short is kind of meant to be a bit of a paragon hero in maybe like the captain America sense. Like she's the, she's a cop, but she's the good cop. She's the, she's a wild card cop, but she's a good wild card cop who like follows, follows the, uh, the, the, her principles and she breaks the she'll she'll break some rules and expect to take the consequences in order to do what she thinks is right yeah I got she's that supposed vibe. to be she's supposed to be a paragon hero but she's also supposed to be you know real and have a personality yeah. which didn't happen here <sighs> yeah that I- was a big sigh nathaniel <laughs>
1: this movie was bad
2: it was just a hard watch. Like,
1: I put that I thought it was going to be, like, one of the worst things I've ever seen, like, at the start. And I really hoped that it would crawl out of there. And there were a few bits that I did like in this. I really liked watching Mulch Diggums break into the safe. I thought that was very fun.
2: And not much more. In a really uncomfortable, like, kind of, like gut reaction way i really liked watching him unhinge his jaw yes that, that was the best visual effect in there because it just was so unsettling
0: yeah anyway
2: I, sorry
1: no you know you're right it's supposed to be unsettling like the way the book describes it it's unsettling and yeah watching that put to screen i very much enjoyed in that kind of like weird perverse like i can't believe i'm watching this sort of way
0: yeah i don't know about this one though guys like all told, like wrapping around here on the end, like I just I don't know about this
1: one guys all right, so that that brings us to our next last question, our penultimate question uh
2: favorite and least favorite scenes
1: slash characters
2: I really enjoyed any scene that was lift that was lifted wholesale from the book, and where people didn't talk. <laughs> If they if they would have just like that, this movie could have actually been improved by having everybody by just keeping all the scenes, but having everybody just silently act. That that would have actually been that would have actually been better. It wouldn't have been good, but it would have been better than what we got.
1: Well, so as a home invasion movie, which is what this should have been, because that's what the book is. You have two options, as far as I'm concerned, about how to go about this. You can do either home alone style, where there's a lot of. <laughs> a lot <laughs> of Macaulay prep. Culkin
0: should have played Artemis Fowl. Change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you could have CGI'd him in there, yeah, and Jordan Peele should have directed. Disney it. has the
1: kind of money for that. They should have done it. Can we sign a petition for them to put young Macaulay Culkin
0: in this <laughs> uh, movie? Did I say young? <laughs> <laughs> i don't remember saying that they, they could
2: have cut out the effect the like the cgi and special effects and just done practical effects in which case you could just do uh nicoley culkin prosthetics as a child <laughs> that's
0: what i'm saying this movie could have been greatly improved I, I also i think jordan peele directing it would have taken it a long way mm-hmm. like just like fully lean in and just make this like what if artemis fell since because he doesn't get to be an independent actor in this film what if he just didn't know about fairies at all, <gasps> <and> accidentally <laughs> took them off, and now it's a horror movie? <laughs> and now Jordan Peele's doing it, and we like it because Macaulay Culkin accidentally upsets the fairies, he... and now it's a horror movie where he's hiding in his house from fairies.
2: Can can I counter pitch? Hit me. Okay, so not that not that it's a horror movie from uh, with Artemis Fowl as the unfortunate protagonist, but it's a horror movie with... The fairies as the unfortunate protagonist being hunted by Artemis Fowl.
0: This is good. And then this it makes your too. torture sequence in the cage a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
2: this, uh, this episode may not be appropriate for children anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. the,
1: the other thing I was going to say is Ocean's Eleven is the other one. Because that's a heist movie, but similar kind of thing. They're essentially doing a home invasion on a casino bank uh, vault. Um, Which is pointedly not a home invasion. Right. But, <laughs> but what I mean is those two. They're doing two a two heist, you mean. Right, right. These two, though, have a lot in common, right? Like an attack on a relatively secure location being Artemis's home and an attack on a relatively secure location being a casino vault. Right. There's a lot in common here. The way Home Alone does it, though, the Home Alone style is set up in such a way that we as the audience get to experience dramatic irony. We see the broken shards of glass. We see the hot doorknob. We know all of these things are coming beforehand. And then there's the Ocean's Eleven way, which is we see them do the setup, but we're not sure what it means until the heist gets pulled off. And as the heist unfolds, we go, oh, that's why they did the, and so on and so forth. Um, Artemis Fowl could have taken either of these approaches and spent, like, basically its first act making us be on board with the fairy world, its second act being set up for the home invasion, and its third act being home invasion time. And it could have been a really fun, if even still bad, it could have at least been fun movie but it didn't do that. It just decided to be a messy thing of exposition the whole way through, in my opinion.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, arguably, the, the distinction you've described is the difference between a home invasion and a heist movie, right? Even if you're stealing from a manor, what makes it a heist is that not knowing what to expect, right? Part of the reason Home Alone works and part of the reason there is dramatic irony is because when we see him take a like heat to a doorknob, we uh, we recognize the mundane nature of that setup and we know what's about to happen. We've all touched something hot in our house, right? As compared to a film like Ocean's Eleven where they know the layout of the casino, but we don't. Mm-hmm. And so everything becomes unexpected, right? A home invasion is, in one way, made relevant and made different from like these other kinds of assault movies by the fact that we understand and recognize what's going on. Right, right. Um, which I and anyway, I, it's a small difference to dispute, but I think that this movie would benefit greatly from being either a heist on the part of the fairies or a home invasion for for Artemis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there, unfortunately, the only really scary or tense thing in this is the gender dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were
2: bad. Oh, also, other thing that I was disappointed in that doesn't fall under the category I mentioned earlier, there wasn't a whole ton of talking in the big scene with the troll that I didn't see Butler in a suit of armor taking it on with a battle axe and a handgun.
1: Yeah, gosh, like the one thing we needed from this movie
2: was like a cool, like, weird
1: but cool fight scene like that. And but of course,
2: as as played by uh, or as written, I'm pretty sure the actor did the best he could with what he was given. But with but with Dom, with Dom as he was written, <laughs> ugh, hate that. That's
0: my favorite podcast. Dom comma, <laughs> as he was written <laughs>
2: with Dom <laughs> as he was good, written. Also that a biography title. That character as he was written here could not have pulled off a cool fight scene
0: no yeah i mean we're, we're talking about a character who has no practical skills immediately all of his years of specialized training is thrown away with a gaga him working out at a gold's gym for six years yeah and then at the end of this film he is like again to bring in troubling racial dynamics right as the i say in scare quotes tough black guy right he is of course obligated to begin crying at the end of this movie Right. Mm-hmm. Or to say that he's about to start crying or something like that, right? Yeah. This is a character whose whose toughness is played for laughs and therefore he can't be the kind of person who unironically storms into a situation with a Sig sour and a suit of armor. Right. That's yeah. just not the character that we have here to work with. And that's unfortunately where a lot of these characters land is that they can only do things to be played for laughs because there's not enough substance in them to do any of these things that we would laugh at in an ironic way Mm -hmm. yeah i've said
1: many times um, that i believe that if you've got 50 pages of story and you're going to try and adapt a book to the screen that 50 pages gives you about half of an hour um so 100 pages is an hour so on and so forth this film is 90 minutes long and the source material is close to 300 pages This should be, if you want to make a good adaptation, in my opinion, almost three hours. You could probably cut some corners and have it be two, two fifteen, two and a half. But even still, that's a whole half hour minimum extra to an hour longer. And so many of the things that they should be dealing with, like the home invasion, just feel rushed when they don't have to be.
0: Yeah, the other problem that this film faces is that if you do what you just suggested, yep. I don't know if I could have sat through another hour of this movie. <laughs> I, I Right, I, I so that's you like the double-edged sword, right? <laughs> it's like you're like, yes, like with a little more time, this probably would have gone better, but what if it hadn't? Yeah. <laughs> what if we ended up with McTeague? <laughs>
1: oh, man mcteague for those of you at home was a book that was adapted early in the days of film and it was nine hours long
2: in its original (laughs) cut because they adapted
1: everything
2: not not everything would have needed to be adapted though with this one right um i got really excited when i saw that kenneth branagh was going to be the director and my hopes for this movie went went way up but it should have been directed with Directed by someone with a better sense for the dark and the grim and the tense because there wasn't anything tense or grim in this movie and it just uh, that you could have cut out a lot of stuff from the source material but you can't cut out the central the central tense feeling of of the home invasion. Yeah, And it was gone. It was just gone.
0: Yeah, the home invasion is not an invasion of the home in any meaningful way, right? I joked this, I joked, made this joke about the land of the Fae or, or wherever that is called, in the volcano, whatever. Um, but I, At the ap- center of the earth. Yeah, at the center R- of the earth. The movie did cover that.
2: It did exposit that. Oh, okay. It must it, have it world 40 built minutes <laughs> of narration <laughs> that blurred into
0: one conglomerate.
1: Um, I'm sorry I brought this upon us.
0: But one thing that I think is is kind of interesting in a joke that I made is this is essentially a scene that or a film that moves us from one laser tag arena to another, right? I mean, in the home invasion sequence, literally they use like laser guns and a laser bow. And other than that, <laughs> Yeah, um, dang, I hate that so much that you, now that you say it. Ugh. But this is this is like yeah, a, and and but the problem is that this robs it of tension inherently. We've all played laser tag. So this manor isn't a place of darkness and of tension and of fear and of pain. This mansion is just a sick laser tag arena, and we're going to, like, freaking shoot some six-year-olds here. And that's, like, just going to be the whole experience that we have in this thing, right? We're just going to shoot some little people. This movie Um, just does not respect its audience. uh, But this—what is this movie's audience? It's
1: supposed to be children. But that, that's why so many adaptations of children's works are bad is because the books, tr- often the children reading them feel like they're being treated on a mature level. Even if the books are kind of silly or goofy, like, it's kind of goofy, the premise of, like, an underground fairy world that's existed in secret
0: for thousands of years.
2: But you at least feel like the person writing it is taking you seriously, like they're not right. talking down to you. Right, like,
0: like th- we're, we're talking about a book series that has an, enc- an encrypted code at the bottom of each of its books. Right? right. This is a book that asks you to be an active participant in reading it and mm-hmm. not just and like experiencing it and learning the language of, of its world. And so, like, yeah, this is a series of books that treats the children that read it like reasoning, functioning beings. And this is a movie that treats them like, uh, like, like Reptar th- underscore XXX <laughs> X, X, <laughs> and uh, Tron <laughs> underscore 32. Participants in the laser tag game. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, it's it's like
1: it's like they expected that this movie was going to be used by parents to like just throw something on so that their children wouldn't be bugging them. Um, and that's always a shame to me because when children's work is done well, it, I mean, it impacts people's lives for years. I'm a huge fan of Avatar The Last Airbender, and I think that goes for everyone here at this table. Um, and part of the reason is because it's one of those few shows that, as a kid, or I think I might have even been a young teenager when I watched it, I felt like treated me with respect and maturity as it handled intense themes like death and duty and honor. And it treated me like I was... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
0: Honor.
1: Shuka, look, it's your honor.
0: Where? She escaped. But how? <laughs> uh,
1: great show if you haven't seen it. Um, and that sh- that episode, which is easily one of the most jokey episodes, is also very heavy and very dark in a lot of places. Um, and that's kind of my point: is when when shows and books treat children like they are functioning adults, and not 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 even adults, but just functioning people who can handle emotions and thought those works often do become elevated in some way. And the reason that adaptations of those works are usually so bad is because that is the first thing to be left on the cutting room floor in a lot of ways, is those things that treat their audience like they're equals with the makers of the show.
0: Well, and I think that this speaks a lot to kind of where Disney is at as a, as a company and what it means to be Disney in 2020 because, like... Snow White and the Seven Dwarves was not explicitly made as a children's movie. right? right? Walt Disney didn't make children's movies. Walt Disney made animated films, which is like an extremely different thing, especially if you take like a Japanese perspective, right, where much of their entertainment is produced in an animated format. Um, I mean, Toradora is certainly not something you would sit a bunch of six-year-olds in front of and that one's not even particularly edgy, right? It's just not for six year olds. It's just it. It's like,
2: well, anything, anything Ghibli, pretty much, like anything that Hayao Miyazaki has been involved with. You know, you could legitimately put children in front of, and people do, but it's all really well put together. Like, when, when are so- you watching
1: Spirited Away?
0: Oh, soon. I've had it. I've had Greg's copy for a minute. <laughs> Some in a, there is some dismemberment in Princess Mononoke. There is some dismemberment in Princess Mononoke. It's okay, though. <laughs> it's a great movie. Mononoke. Yeah, that's Mononoke.
2: <laughs> um, Mononoke, are you okay? <laughs> Mononoke, are you okay? Now Mononoke, eh, eh. A, Just, Just a quick example for, like, this this concept that we've been talking about. There's a movie that I've avoided watching because it's apparently really sad, and I haven't felt up to dealing with it. Called Grave of the Fireflies. It's yeah. Studio Ghibli, and people uh, have let their kids watch it, and then their kids, you know, go and say that was sad. They died. <laughs> I I don't know who dies in the movie, but um, presumably the fireflies. If presumably I just had the, to guess. Yes. Anyway, but Context, like it's it's a movie that apparently a, another one another one along like a similar idea is uh, the wind rises. It's a movie about uh, about like essentially the the central characters. One of them is dying, like the entire movie, <laughs> and then she passes away, and it deals with this, and it's a movie that's supposed to be accessible for all ages.
0: Well, and I think about this in context with, like, animation, particularly Disney animation, right? If Walt Walt Disney Studios had gone out to make The Lion King a children's movie, they would not have brought live lions into that animation studio, which is a thing they did to learn how to animate lions in that movie. Which is why they look so freaking great when you watch that movie. Right, compared to, say, the lion that escapes from the zoo in that episode of Tom and Jerry, that does not look... Nearly as good for a multitude of reasons, right? Not just yeah. because they didn't bring a live lie and there were time constraints and things as well. And also the th- general animation style of Tom and Jerry. And Sure. But, like, you think about that, that's not something you would do to make a quote-unquote children's movie, right? And The Lion King in itself is not a children's movie, right? It's That movie made almost a billion dollars, by the way. Yeah, and it's a movie that made a lot of people cry. Yeah. <laughs> because I, that, I tear up thinking about it. Because that movie is a redemption arc that wouldn't be surpassed until Zuko. And <laughs> it's a really in-depth emotive film about what it means to be a father and what it means to be a son and what it means to be a, a leader and what it means to live like a fulfilling life, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And what it means to rise up to your responsibilities.
0: Totally. I mean, these are, are real themes, right? That, But this is a movie that children watch right right and so i think where where this film misses the mark is by ascribing itself from the beginning as a children's movie right i don't know that disney animation studios has ever sat down and said like oh boy i can't wait to make the next children's movie yeah none of no disney animation studios is specifically for children no, right.
1: th- th- I mean like, this th- movie th-
0: is right, and, and there are
1: projects that Disney obviously makes for children. Like that is Disney's main audience is children and parents of children, but they don't go in there generally, particularly with like their movies that go to theaters. They don't go in there saying, "Oh boy, we got to make this for the kids." Oh
2: boy, <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: gosh.
2: <laughs> Oh, we got
1: to make it for the kids, Pluto. <laughs> ruff,
2: ruff, ruff. We're going to get a copyright strike.
1: <laughs> eh, no, cuz it's our own, it's our own imitations. I think we're fine. Yeah, but dude, <laughs> Disney is relentless. I don't know. Ask me after I take copyright law in like a year
0: or two. But yeah, anyway, I think all of this lends itself to, to a little bit of what we've been saying, right? This idea that this film doesn't treat its audience like they are doing anything other than watching a movie to fill an hour and a half. Yeah. And that's a major bummer.
2: I feel pretty bummed. <laughs> that if that if that energy is coming across to you and our audience, I'm very sorry. I feel pretty bummed about having having seen something that I enjoyed and had this done to it.
1: Yeah. Um that well, said, did anybody have a character they actually liked? Cuz I liked Mulch Diggums like 70% of the time.
0: Yeah, I mean that character is the redeeming aspect of this. Show. It's Josh yeah.
1: Gad;
2: he's pretty fun. Just, just him. Okay. Um, I, I think just him. So,
1: last question that we ask every time: Did you like no. it?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> would you watch it again? If I no. ever get into drinking games, maybe. <laughs> but um,
0: no, no, I probably would
2: not. No. I I don't think so. That was I'm gonna I'm gonna go read the book and use it as my Listerine to get the flavor of that movie out of my mouth. Oof! That was the quickest of the
1: quick takes that we've ever had. All right, on well, this show. Logan, do you want to take us out?
0: Yeah. Thanks for sticking around through this uh, episode of Peep This Noise. Hopefully, much less of an endurance slog than some of our previous episodes have. I mean, I certainly hope that the hundreds of dollars that we spent on recording equipment has paid off. Uh, Next time, we're actually going to be discussing something. uh, We're going to migrate from the realm of Artemis Fowl to high art. I'm going to make us read The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway because I just have to... I'm sorry, I have to do a 180 from this. Um, You should be able to find a PDF on the internet if you are willing to go to some um, maybe not super well-protected sites. (laughs) <laughs> um, but you can also get a relatively inexpensive ebook somewhere between three and ten dollars, or you can buy a print copy also for for very cheap. It's at every library if you can get to a library during these difficult times. It's it's an accessible text. It's considered one of Hemingway's best, right up there with a Farewell to Arms. Um, I don't really want to spoil the pitch of it because I think going in with as little information as possible is a helpful thing to do. The Old Man in the Sea. Um, And then we can talk about some of its metaphorical implications and and some of its more interesting aspects next time. Well, if you listen to us drag Artemis Fowl for, I don't know, probably like an hour, hour and 20 minutes, somewhere in that range, and you thought, man, this content is for me, well, we appreciate that. Uh, Like our podcast, subscribe if your podcast platforms allow you to do anything like that. Um, and more importantly tell any friends you have who you think might enjoy listening we don't really advertise this show so any word of mouth that you want to put out there is going to be good vibes that'll hopefully circle back around to us uh, if you really do enjoy the show and and you want us to let us know you want to let us know that you're listening you can reach out to us on social media we're at peep this noise all one word on twitter you can also find us at mail at peepthisnoise.com if you have any questions or comments Please, um, even if you disagree, please keep it nice. The internet can be a dangerous place, and we're really putting ourselves out there by asking for feedback. Um, but yeah, we, we trust our audience. Y'all seem like great folks from the, those of you we've interacted with. And I'll leave it at that. Um, I'd like to give special thanks to Katie Davidson and the band Key Losers for letting us use their theme, our theme song, their song, Don't Know Why, from the album California Light. Uh, That's our bumper music. You'll hear it at the top of every show and at the back end. If you haven't checked that song out and this isn't your first episode, I don't know what to tell you. You're missing out. That whole album is absolutely wonderful. Again, that's California Light, L-I-T-E, by the band Key Losers. Look them up. You will not regret it. I promise. Um, Thanks again for watching Peep This Noise, and I never thought I'd use these words as a shield to defend our content choices, but remember... Everybody Likes Bad Things.
2: So open up your mind Let the wind inside